Hi guys, welcome back to Chewing the Fat. I'm Carlos. I'm Queena. I'm Dr. Johnson. And we'd like to welcome our listeners, new and returning. So guys, what's fresh off the back porch this week? Um, I think Dr. Johnson has been chomping at the bit to talk about the we talked about that last week. Actually, the last two well, episodes. We, you know what? It's, it's, a, it's, it's the year. So we, we're going to probably touch it every week. Well, especially that is interesting. And until we finally get a, uh, a clear nominee on the Democratic side, it's a bit interesting for now, beginning to pare down a bit. But since our last episode, there's been a, a lot of movement and a lot of things happening. There sure has uh, been a seen. lot of things happening. Chief among them is Amy Clovershaw. She threw in the towel. Dr. Johnson, I seem to remember last episode, you were speaking very highly of Amy Clovershaw about her chances, and she just dropped out. So what, we just not going to touch on that? Yeah, I tell you, I was sitting there with my wife looking at TV. You know, Joe Biden is here in Texas, and he had Beto O'Rourke endorsing him. And as he was closing out his endorsement, Joe Biden got on the microphone, Sleepy Joe. He called up everyone to the stage, and when I saw this blue power pantsuit, well, it wasn't a pantsuit, she had on a blue dress and blazer, and I saw her walking up. I caught up. that shade. Well, I, I caught you know, that shade. I, I, I mean, I'm just making an observation. And I saw Klobuchar, and I said, wow, she dropped out. So that means Steyer dropped out, Buttigieg dropped out, and now Klobuchar. So all of your mainly considered moderates, besides Joe Biden, and that's what it looks like. The Democrats are consolidating their moderate vote within Joe Biden, because I tell you, I, there were plenty of people that expected him to carry North uh, South Carolina, but to carry it by almost 50 percent when you have at least eight candidates. That was I don't think anyone expected. That. I think he did. I think he knew exactly what to expect because he threw out that lifeline to James. Clyburn. Yeah, we just go act like that ain't happened, huh? Biden knew what he was doing. He knew he needed the black vote, so he reached out to James Clyburn to help boost those approval rating among black voters. You made reference to Beto O'Rourke. What made him go by Beto in the first place? We all know his name, Robert Francis. <laughs> well, you have to uh, realize that with him being in a mainly Hispanic, uh, um, well, his constituency was mainly uh, Hispanic. So that was something that I, I think that was, I mean, genuine or not. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I haven't really researched his backstory. Genuine or not, it was something that he did to uh, engender himself. Well, to build a relationship with the people he represents. I don't have a problem with that. It's a bit condescending if you ask me, but. That's something that they, they like about him. They love uh, Beto O'Rourke. I can't say I have a feeling about him either way. Uh, I did enjoy the scare he put into Ted Cruz when he ran for senator. <laughs> that was quite interesting. But to go back to what we started the conversation about, the actual debate itself, I tell you, Elizabeth Warren is, if she does nothing else, she is a good debater. And she sticks to message. And I, I did some research since our last podcast. I looked at her programs and I, she detailed everything. If there was an award for being a studious politician that actually writes out and tells you what they're going to do, that's her. Now, she backtracked on a few of those things and some of her statements, the Medicare for all, uh, the one payer option the single pair option, sorry. So it was just interesting in, in that debate to watch one, Joe Biden actually finally wake up a little bit. I don't know if he actually got a shot of caffeine. More like a shot of whiskey, I was <laughs> <laughs> But did you catch the video? Man, get out of here. Steyer on the stage. Backing that thing <laughs> up. With the Louisiana rapper, Juvenile. That's definitely off the porch this Oh week. my God. I don't know what those dance moves were. Ridiculousness. But yeah, like legitimately. My question would become, now honestly, if that's not pandering to the black vote, how often do you think he naturally listens to Juvenile outside of him running 
for a political office. Well, you know what? I, I think that it, it absolutely is pandering. It's but, pandering. Um, let, let me put something else in your lap. So think back to the early 90s. What did Bill Clinton do? Well, I've ne- I never was a Bill Clinton he, fan. So. He, went, he went on Arsenio Hall. He pulled his saxophone out. And suddenly he was the cool guy. So he's just trying. He's trying to take a 2020 feather <clears throat> out of Bill Clinton's hat. Using back that thing up now. Will it work? Probably not. <laughs> but right, he's right already dropped out. So immediately, it didn't work. that's what I thought about. <laughs> he was trying to pull a bill. Honestly, I was waiting on the Bob Dole moment. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> hey, leave, hey, leave my World War II veteran alone. Or, or, even, or either the Howard Dean moment. Howard no. Dean went, woo, and we never saw him there again. There will never be another Howard Dean moment. It, it wasn't so much that he said woo. It was that everything he said before the woo was incoherent. Yeah, and I'm going to need him to. Stay off the woo, you know. That's that's Rick Flat thing, man. You know, he ain't got no Rick Flat drip on him. <laughs> but but I tell you, the, the I think the interesting fact again from uh, that South Carolina debate was the lack again another lackluster performance from uh, Michael Bloomberg. I, I I tell you, it must be nice to just throw away half a billion dollars on something that really has no chance of succeeding. Right. I mean, all, all he has right now is, is his money and he's definitely spending it. It's not working in, in regards to helping him out with voters. I want to back up to Joe. You said that I don't think people expected it. I think Joe expected it the whole time. He's been saying it the whole time. He knew that our cousins uh-huh. were going to come out and Nook Nook and Ray Ray them was going to come out. And support him, actually, Nook Nook and Ray Ray's grandparents is, is what came out. Right, because Nook um, Nook didn't. <laughs> Nook Nook didn't. But Nook Nook's grandparents did. And he knew that. He knew that he was going to take South Carolina. South Carolina. And uh, big ups to my homie Joe. I'm glad you did it. I see you, big homie. Well, I tell you, if you're okay with a lackluster candidate with... Not many things to tout except for things that were accomplished during the Obama era that have in some ways been systematically dismantled. For me, Joe just does not project as though he's really, it's like he's forced to be there. You ever seen someone that just, they want to be something, but they don't know quite how to be it? That's, that's Joe to me. I think Joe is solidifying what we've always known is that the black vote means something. He has tapped into it. He knows it and he's trying to ride that wave. True. So let's we'll see what we'll see what happens on Super Tuesday. He better ride that wave. Matter of fact, he better pull a surfboard out. Because the one thing I know about black voters is we might put our faith in you, but it's gonna be shaky at best. You know, and any kind of indication that you're going to turn your back on us or whatever, and then we're going to drop you like a bad heaven with a heartbeat. Well, which is which also plays into why he appeared with Beto O'Rourke in his most recent campaign stop. So it switches to Texas and California. There's a bucket load of delegates to be had. I'm curious to see how Bernie Sanders does on more of a level playing field. So now it's not just a Caucasian electorate. And let's see how he handles it. Because my thing is, regardless of who the Democrats decide to put up against Donald Trump, it has to be someone that will build a coalition. And again, I'll go back to what I said, episode one. I think you need to prepare yourself for four more years of Donald Trump. Not me. Not me. Well, I, 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 I shudder to think. Let me simplify it. And this is just in my mind, in my opinion. When the economy is doing well, nobody gets out. You, you have to be motivated to that point to get out and vote. And I don't think Trump is going to do enough to, to make people upset uh, to the point where you're going to activate the base. I tell you, I talked to a number of African-Americans that that you know, business owners, entrepreneurs, and they really don't have a problem with them. Like I said before, man, it's a battle of the corn artists. It's the lesser of the evils that we got to pick from, man. But I don't see us just sitting on the sidelines and allowing Donald Trump to get voted back in office. The outrage he's third within the black community. I just don't see us being complacent. 
you know, people tired of that. People tired of Orange Julius, man, having his day in the sun. You know, that's over with. Hmm. So, sticks to the brick, right? The overall theme of this this episode. Uh, and it's, it's fascinating. Me, uh, growing up in Monroe, Louisiana, I attended an all-black elementary, an all-black middle school, an all-black high school. Uh, my first uh, initial foray into higher education was at Southern University, a historically black college and university. So needless to say that I've had quite an education coming out to the Austin suburbs and seeing a different uh, perspective on graduation expectations for support, uh, family and involvement, and even just a school climate and culture that's just geared towards success. The one thing I did realize that frustrated me, uh, my alma mater, Carroll High School, Bulldogs, I tell you, I can't remember other students around me other than the students that were in my gifted and talented class, all four of us. I can't remember anyone really talking about their expectations or their career aspirations. And to be quite frank, without siblings that were doing some of those things, there was never a full conversation about college expectations, your career. Hey, I'm in this career, you might want to do this. Hey, I'm in that career, you might want to take a look at that. And I, that was astonishing to me to get to a high school, which after my, my time in the military, to go to a high school that had 33 programs of study. And, and let me say that again, programs of study at the high school level where they actually focused on a career field. And I really, is that a cultural thing? Is it, was it just the, the resources that were available? So I, I really, I really struggle with that part of the aspect because are we really attributing to culture or is it the resources that are available due to culture? Resources play a large part. If you are in a school where, you know, you're in a classroom where you got to share textbooks or if you're using books that are five, 10 years old, you're not using the contemporary lesson plans. How do you expect the education to improve? Resources are a large factor, if you ask me. The school I went to didn't have the best of everything. I mean, hell, we was lucky to have running water sometimes, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, I mean, I just don't understand how you can downplay resources as a major contributing factor or an inhibitor the lack of being mm -hmm. an inhibitor to educational excellence. There are very many massively successful people that hail from Louisiana simply because the educational system in Louisiana, I mean, for lack of a better expression, sucks so bad. People making it here is akin to a rose growing in concrete. What you just described is grit, right? There have been research studies on it. I think it's more of a determinant. Well, I won't say it's more of a determinant factor. I think it's part of the whole uh, puzzle that goes together with uh, student success and student achievement. Uh, I, too, am a product, of course, of um, an all-African-American high school. Carlos, you and I are classmates. During my professional career, I've had the opportunity to work uh, in several states across the country, so Texas, Nevada, California. Um, so I've I've had the opportunity to see you know education in, in different and cultures in different states. And so I think my biggest aha moment was that we were fighting for equality when we should have been fighting for equity. <clears throat> um, it's a difference. It's, it's a difference. It's a difference. You can't make me equal when, you know, I need to get caught up. And so I'll take, you know, I, I love using uh, our, our high school, the illustrious, historic Booker T. Washington High School. Uh, um, I love you. Booker T. Washington. Right. The Mighty Lions. The Mighty Lions. I love using Booker T. as an example. So in Kettle Parish, you have, and and I look at these numbers faithfully. I go to Louisiana Believes. It is a public site. I encourage parents to do so. If any of my followers, if you follow me on, on any social media, 
You know, I post this information. I share it. I post graduation rates. I post test rates. I post ACT rates. I post TOPS rates. <clears throat> so I am very well versed as to what's going on in this state. I've got my finger on the pulse and I know the temperature. So um, I always like to look at what's going on. I always look at Cattle Parish first because that's my home. And then I look at EBR where I live now. So if you take a school like Captain Shreve, Bird, and Magnet High, and then you take Booker T, Green Oaks, and Woodlawn. So <clears throat> first thing, Booker T has teachers that are not certified. Right. So I can't take AP history because my teacher is not certified to teach AP history. I'm at a disadvantage. That would never happen at Bird, Shreve and, and Magnet High. Bird, Shreve and Magnet High, I guarantee you don't have uncertified teachers. You're more likely at an African-American high school to get the basketball coach teaching history. Am I right about it, Coach Brooks? Right. Oh, wow. Right. That, that's not going to happen. Shout out to Coach Captain Bruce. Shreve, Birds. Shout out to Coach Bruce, taught American history. <laughs> but you're not going to have the football coach or the basketball coach at any of those schools teaching history. Right. So our kids are already at a disadvantage. So how can I be prepared for a test when I'm not being taught by someone who's not an expert in this field? Whereas at the, at the other school, they are. Fix it, Pastor. Mm. Fix it. <laughs> Come on. Come on, somebody. And, and, so that, and that brings me back to right, the big conversation because we're, we're talking about it being cultural expectations when I think it's less of a cultural expectation than it is about resources. From the standpoint of when you talk about quality of teachers, that the old days of when the teachers came from the community, lived in the community, had a vested interest in the community, that's really kind of changed. So yeah, I think it really is about culture, but a culture that's been formed by economic access, right? Economic advantages or disadvantages. And that, how, that it gets perpetuated into, right, which neighborhoods you live in, Okay, African Americans tend to live in poor neighborhoods, but then it it for for my thing, my issue it becomes it can't be just simply about culture because if you have an affluent and there are affluent African American neighborhoods, I've seen them in PG County uh, in Maryland. I lived there for a few years while I was uh, stationed at Walter Reed Army Medical Center, and those counties. My wife graduated from a high school within that county. And they had those conversations. They did those type of things. And that was a predominantly black high school. So it's, it's so what what from this conversation, what do you what do you guys think is the most determinant of that factor? Is it really culture or is it economic resource? Well if education isn't valued in your culture, then that's already starting miles behind everyone else in the country if you ask me and two the resources again like i said resources play a large factor that determines whether or not you're playing with a level playing field or not it's almost the equivalent of bringing a knife to a gunfight you're just not prepared to be able to win that battle so, um go ahead Ms. Queen. I, I was just going to share that um i had an opportunity I took a break from higher education and I worked for a K to 12 school, which was a, a college prep school for about four years. And, um, kind of, and this, this will probably help us transition to climate and culture as well. So the, the expectation of those students, every student that was admitted to that college prep school, they were being prepared for college. Right. So the, the team that reported to me that created their schedules, um, you know, we we would look at the institutions that they wanted to go to. So say they wanted to go to UC Santa Cruz or their goal was to go to UC Berkeley. Um, so we had to ensure that they took the classes needed to get into that institution. Right. So 
they took the time, those counselors took the time to do that. And and more to not, nine times out of 10, you know, back to your point, Carlos, inner city schools, these people have a caseload of five to 600 students. They don't have time to sit down and look up the course requirements to the university that a, a particular student wants to go to. And when you couple that with the fact that they're grossly underpaid. Right. Say, for instance, a person moves from Louisiana to California. If a person moved from Louisiana to California, that that kid is going to be so far behind oh, those so other far kids behind. simply because of the failing, it, I would say, failing education system of Louisiana altogether. Well, I don't even think you need to go that far. I, I've had nieces and nephews move from Louisiana just to Texas, and they they struggled in this system. So, and, and I think about the fact that I, I'm a product of the Louisiana public school system, but from a different aspect. As I mentioned, sitting in a gifted and talented classroom, we had four students. My English class was four students my entire time through high school. Well, five uh, until a young man had to move on. But for the majority of my time in high school, we had four students in an English class with a teacher that graduated from Auburn University. Shout out Ms. Rambo. And, and our math teacher was a, uh, an engineering graduate from Southern University. So going back to Queen's point, quality of the teacher matters. But I, but it was also from the standpoint of he could have made more money being an engineering teacher. And I, and Queen talked about this in one of our earlier in episode one that uh, well on the Black Entrepreneur episode that African Americans you typically pick jobs that give back to their community. The principal of, of Carroll High School told him that he needed him to be in that classroom to teach. To he, he he made it a calling for him to come and teach at Carroll High School when he could have made more money as an engineer. So that's another thing when we talk about culturally, where is that cultural obligation to go and give back? Uh, for the next generation. So right. I think that piece can be attributed to culture because I think so often we do talk about money and I won't say that it's not important. If not for uh, uh, my, my uh, payments from the military for my time in the service, I don't think I could have afforded to be a teacher. But that cultural responsiveness that still, even though I think finance pay plays a, lo- a larger part, but the culture aspect is that cultural responsiveness, responsible, uh, responsibleness to come back and help your community. Queen? Yes. Your response um, to what Dr. Johnson had to say? So I, I partially agree with him. I think that it, it can be a contributed to culture, but also... Um, resources. I, I have yet to understand how two schools in the same school district could not have the same thing. You know, it, why kids at one school don't have textbooks, that, but the other kids exactly. do. So I, 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 so I can't, I can't say that it's all cultural um, and not resources when it's a, it's a clear divide. And you know what a disparity in resources attribute to? What? It attributes to judgment, which translate into bullying. Because uh, y'all don't even have textbooks. You know, you have on old clothes, hand-me-downs, and you know, you go to this radio high school, or y'all got a scalar. Oh, uh, I, I got to get you, dog. That was, that was a forced transition. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mo- Mr. Moderator, goes in the Mr. Moderator, he, that, that was a re- that was a reach. <laughs> it was, it was. That was definitely judgment. <laughs> but to kind of segue into what you were talking about, Carlos, I think one of the most detrimental aspects currently talked about now, especially in the age of social media, is bullying and how that that really does affect academic performing it it affects school climate and culture it, it affects that student's well-being to how they feel about themselves so much so that in texas they passed a law 
uh, against cyberbullying to the extent that it gave administrators, and this is just going back to my time as an administrator on a campus, that they wound up giving administrators the authority to adjudicate incidents of cyberbullying because it was definitely affecting students. If you look at the suicide rate, it's up among high school students. And that's of, of all uh, nationalities and backgrounds. That's really starting to deteriorate the school culture because it's not the typical, okay, I know Johnny is being bullied by Tommy at school, so I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna give Tommy a stay away agreement. And Tommy, you don't, you don't, you don't mess with Kevin, you don't talk to Kevin. But in the age of social media, you really can't control it. And oftentimes I couldn't really help a student until they brought me their phone, showed me what the student was doing, brought me someone else's phone. But unless they share that information, and we all know if you have a teenager at home, I think every parent can agree with me that if you touch their phone, you, you've almost ripped their life away from them, torn their heart out of their oh, chest by touching their cell phone. Yeah. So, oh, that's, uh, that's amazing. Oh, violation. my goodness. Uh, I don't have any rights. You need to be respectful. I don't have any privacy. <laughs> my life is over. You turn my phone off. Well, of course, <laughs> that goes back to culture, too, because if that's an African-American parent, they're not trying to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I honestly, I, I think about the fact that what does that do to that person's confidence that they've been pigeonholed to an idea or a method of raising a child that just because we were raised that way doesn't make it okay to the extent that maybe, and, I, and people are going to get mad when I say this, but I'll go ahead and say it, maybe we're bullying our own children in that fashion too. I would have to agree because most of the time, the actions of the of the parent are perpetuated by the child. Mm. My mother, I love a dealer, but she was very, very strict, you know, and if I didn't put something back where I got it from, I got beat. If I didn't wash a dish out that I used after using that, I got beat. Carlos, you know, we're, we're and, not trying to get, has the statute of limitation going out? We're not trying to get mama love, love in trouble. Mother. If not for those beatings, there's no telling where I would have ended up in my life. But at the same time, I would have to say that I can't apply that same principle to my children. Okay, there we go. Okay. As the generations change, the mindset should change as well. Because the children change. Mm. I think it's incumbent on all of us as parents to make sure that our children have a better life than we had. And a part of that is the upbringing. I agree. I agree. So in the modern terms, Queena, give me a definition Ooh. of book. You, you're going to put me on the spot with the with the formal definition. I see. <laughs> <laughs> that was a setup. And, and I'll, I'll tell you why, because you know I have something waiting, but uh, go ahead. Um, so I would I would say that bullying would be uh, anything that negatively impacts um, someone, how they, um, you know, uh, negatively. You yeah, come on. I will help you out, Queen. <laughs> I will. I think that bullying simply put is an assault on one's self-image okay it's specifically since to your point dr johnson that social media is such a big thing and everything is shared on a global stage now rather than locally regionally now everybody is aware of what took place well well social media is just a new conduit right so you know, back in our day, we probably had the phone. You call you on, call somebody on three way. Then we set them up, you know, and then we start going off on them on the phone. On the party right? line, yeah. So, right. <laughs> so social media is, is just a new vehicle. It's just a new conduit by which students are doing it. I don't think that bullying has changed. I think that because technology has changed, now they have a different means to do so. And again, like you just said, now everybody has eyes. So. You know, again, back in the day, if I'm on the phone and me and my two besties on the phone, it's just the three of us with the person we about to attack. So don't nobody know but us four until we go to school the next day and then tell everybody what we did. 
But social media now puts that on the world stage, and, and everybody it, saw exactly. you get blasted. It, it makes it so much more expensive. Right. Let me put it two ways. So let me put on my educator hat and what I've known about it culturally uh, from an aspect of coming from it and all black high school in a high impoverished area. So when I put on my educator hat, bullying for me becomes the, uh, the, uh, the attack on that individual's self-worth, their perception of themselves, who they are, and what they feel entitled to, right? We go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And the most basic of those, those needs is feeling safe and secure. If a student doesn't feel safe and secure in an environment, it's hard for them to learn. However, now let's go back to, uh, and Carlos, I'm saying this for you. Let's go back to Kevin Ray yeah, at 16. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what I will say is, is that at that point, a lot of those instances of dealing with uh, my nickname in, in the sixth grade, Kevin Ray's nickname in the sixth wow. grade was Fat Daddy. Now, I was right? not aware of that. Uh, yeah, that was, a, that was my nickname, Fat Daddy. So, yeah, not the time to reveal that on, on our podcast, but I think it's important to have that, that conversation. So that affected my self-worth, my performance, my school attendance, a lot of different things. And, and not so much in the fact that, you know, people picked on me or any of those aspects, but it was just being called that. And then not having a girlfriend and, and being socially awkward. And those things didn't change me until I played football. So when I look at it from the standpoint of that young man's point of view, well, going through those things actually right helped you develop a thick, a, a thick layer of skin that where you could deal with specific things. Sometimes when people are my, when there are aspects or challenges in my life right now, I still think back to, well, I've overcome X, Y, Z. So I move past those things because I've heard a lot of people and we hear the old guys complain about it all the time. These kids are soft these days. In my day, you just punched the bully in the nose. Well, now you go to jail for it. So not really an option. However, those things, it's hard for me to kind of reconcile those things because I still, going back to my favorite word, grit, if you don't go through something and overcome it, if we eliminate everything, right? Because now we don't use the term helicopter parent, we use the term lawnmower parent, right? You mow everything down. So, and Carlos, you mentioned it, you want your children to have a better life than what you have. So, I struggle with solving every issue for my child and having these conversations. But there's still the other aspect. I've seen how it, it's affected others that are, may not be as equipped emotionally or mature enough to deal with those situations. So now we've taken away that, that first base in Maslow's to where they don't feel safe and secure in their environment. So it's, and that affects overall school culture and climate because if you have a number of students that feel that way, it's hard to be academically successful. It really is. Because your thoughts are preoccupied with what's tormenting you. But, you know, I would like to point out the fact that what helped you get past being taunted as fat daddy, I would say, I did not know that. As long as I've known you, this is the first time this has come out. <laughs> and, of course, it's not going to be the last time we talk about that. But that'll be in private. But what helped you get past that is the fact that you had mental fortitude. <laughs> you had the mental fortitude to channel that anger and that rage into something that motivated you to show that person that this is not going to keep me down. This is not going to pigeonhole me. This is not going to make me hang my head, so to speak. You use that to feel your desire to do better. Hey, word, word, hey, word of the month, grit. Exactly. You use that to cook your grit. Uh-oh, uh-oh. That was definitely a Southern term. Exactly. Miss <laughs> Queen, your take on the topic? Um, <clears throat> of, of grit, 
Well, no. From your definition to what you think of it from the terms of an educator and what you've seen it do to student performance and how it affect the overall student uh, engagement at a school to what you actually experience, right? Because we, we've all talked about the fact that we come from impoverished backgrounds. Well, how do you reconcile those two? I somewhat agree with the old people, Carlos, and I'm going to tell you why. So... <laughs> These these kids are the kids of everybody gets a trophy, right? Celebrate mediocrity. mediocrity. So how can I have grit if I have never experienced defeat? So grit comes from overcoming things, right? (laughs) Adversity, right? So so therefore, when bullying does happen. It's intensified. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, You know, this is happening to me because they've never encountered that. And uh, what's funny is I don't say it's funny, but it's ironic that um, the, the study that I was reading actually said schools that have a good climate. If they experience if students there experience bullying, it is a horrible it's trauma. Whereas schools that are that have a poor climate, if they experience bullying, it's nothing. So those of us that went to Booger T because we had a poor climate and we was bullied, it's, it was it's, it's, hey, it's every day. It was the norm. <laughs> it was the yeah. norm. And so actually when I read that study today, I felt justified. I was like, okay, we ain't crazy. Within those schools, right, Booger T Washington, Care High School. That, that that culture, that school climate was the same, that you dealt with it. You It was you something dealt you with dealt it. with, right? You had to figure it out. Either you, you made friends or you played a sport or you lift weights, but you, you, had, you had to figure it out. If not... Well, you had a big cousin to come get them. Absolutely. But that, that, that does flip it back to the conversation of, but we also had high dropout rates. We did. We certainly did. We certainly did. I knew a number of young men. Yeah, I knew a number of young men that didn't graduate. But that goes back to culture Mm -hmm. and environment because most people, they're doomed to become a part of their environment unless they see different. Take myself, for example. I was fortunate enough to be invited on a recruiting dinner for Dillard University in New Orleans, Louisiana. You know, I met this guy, I can't remember his name, and I, I can't believe that because he was so pivotal in my life. But meeting that guy changed my life. At that dinner, that guy, he graduated from Dillard University. And in fact, he graduated in finance, which is what led me to seek finance as a major. But the guy, he shares his backstory with me, letting me know that he came from the Ninth Ward and where, you know, crime, he was riddled with crime and you know, back then, New Orleans was the murder capital of Louisiana, actually of the United States at that particular time. And despite all of those factors, he rose from the ashes like a phoenix and he succeeded working for a Fortune 500 company, one of the largest venture capitalist firms in, in the country at that particular time during the late 90s, early 2000s. So when I met that guy, he changed my life. But had I not been exposed to that, I would not have gone down that path. So it goes back to whatever you're exposed to. If you see different, you aspire to do different. When your parents didn't graduate from high school or or were educated on a high level, then that limited you, so to speak. So it it, it lowered the bar for you. So go ahead. No, no, no. Please finish your thought. No, 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 no. Go, I was done. So the one thing that I, I think about, right, in those contexts of exposure and culture and, and, and school climate and, right, and I think kind of tied up with a bow is the, the relationship between all of those things, right, that your school has to be the purveyor of that, that it has, you have to have a positive school culture and climate but do we really need to be so touchy feely, right? That we don't allow students, right? We don't we don't teach conflict resolution skills, and I think that's the big piece. 
true conflict resolution skills. That's why I'm a big fan of, of reformative uh, justice, uh, restorative justice and that model. I said reformative, but restorative justice and those models, putting teachers, students in circles and having real conversation. Because a lot of times, right, we've been taught as educators, uh, Ms. Quina, that behavior is a form of communication. And I think that mm -hmm. those opportunities were missed within those those bad culture uh, and climate schools. And whether or not we had conflict, I think for some of us, I know for me, it took me a while to right to, to come out of that that survival mode, right? Being in that school and being able to be open to new things. So that was a barrier for me for a while. But it still needs to be a conversation about how do we address it? And, and, and again, I want this to definitely be a theme uh, throughout our process of creating these uh, podcasts is that what are, what are some of the solutions moving forward to some of these things? It's great to talk about them, discuss them, and debate them, but let's also give our listeners some solutions uh, to kind of solve some of these issues. And maybe not solve, but address. So from reflection comes direct. Exactly. And that's the restorative practices. I love it. You had a Jesse Jackson moment, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was coming. Well, I knew it. Yeah. So hey. Carlos thinks we need to be ostracized from him. <laughs> hey, so since we were touching on bullying, I I I I have to do it. I know this guy has been big news and everything, but I have to touch on Quaden Bell. Come on, guys. What do you think? Quaid Bales, the little kid who went viral uh, in the bullying video. Oh. Give me a knife. I want to kill my I am so not familiar. Please, please out, tell okay. me about it. So, so there was a young man. That he lives in Australia. And he made a video. And it went viral um, about him being bullied. And um, they set up a GoFundMe and raised all kind of money. And it turns out it was a scam. Wow. Oh, he went and got the bag. I'm talking about, man, he Gucci down in some of his photos. When you do your research on Quaden Bells, this is the most well-dressed little person I've ever seen in my life. Well, and they were and also saying that he was an adult, so I haven't confirmed that because I, I, I didn't research it enough. So some uh, bloggers were saying that he was he was a child, and then some people were saying that he was actually an 18-year-old adult. And he, you know, he Oh, no, he Dude, you got pictures of this guy, you know, with a buddy drinking wine, throwing shades on. I mean, this this is a fly little guy, even though he looks like a cross between Problem Child and the It character. The guy, he can dress. Yeah. I mean, when you he's coming out of the airport, you know, he's on these trips. I just can't believe the links to which people would go to get fame and notoriety. So. My question is, how much did he do the, the, the liberal media for on his GoFundMe? Queen. How much did he wind up getting for? Uh, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't know the total. So we might have to swing back to that one. I know it was a lot of money. Interesting. He got the bag. I can tell you that much. Well, enough about Quayton Bells. We all know that it was a sham. You know, this is an adult. It's common knowledge. You can go in there and Google the guy. You know, he tried to shut down his social media pages, but you can still find pictures of this guy sipping wine with his buddies, you know, taking major trips and, you know, being swagged out. But um, I would like to go ahead and move to this week in excellence. Queen, what um, do you have? We're, we're actually going to let Dr. Oh, Johnson pick today. I All righty, then. So, uh, as uh, uh, listeners, we've uh, come to a uh, democratic decision on uh, chewing the fat that each week for uh, this week in excellence, that each of us will bring forth uh, our um, representation or our idea for, for this week in excellence or, or who we choose. This That's week. said already. Well, I'm, can I build it up? I mean, we have to build some type of suspense. Come on, Carlos. So, we, we, by, by the by, the fact that you're stalling, we already know that it's controversial. So, just come on with it. 
Well, who says it's, contra it's controversial to some, not to all? So this week in excellence, I would like to definitely oh commend, God. as a veteran of the United States military, I would like to commend oh Donald Trump and his recent efforts oh, Jesus. on oh, ending no. the Afghanistan war. And it, it has bipartisan support. And after being in the country, this is the longest standing war that we've been engaged in in U.S. history. It has cost us trillions has cost us in American lives, American dollars, American resources, that we're finally having a conversation, a true conversation. And I know there have been some purported efforts, but to sit down with the group that we're actually at war with, that we've been saying that oh, we, we don't negotiate with terrorists and, and all of these, these uh, disclaimers or, or this American bravado that we've shown overseas and at home, that we're finally having a conversation about ending this long-standing war and that we're talking to the enemy in order to accomplish this. From the standpoint of it has to come to an end. We cannot be the police force of the world and we can't continue to spend precious American resources on a war, a never-ending war. It has to come to an end. Get out of here, man. You know what that is. That's a political ploy at best. And you want to talk about bipartisanism, man, please, that's a familial thing, a parental thing. You know, his children are not going over there fighting any war or anything. It's the American people's children that's going over there losing their lives fighting a senseless war. So he's using this opportunity to garner more votes. Like I said earlier, they've got a little bit more organized. Somebody has gotten this guy's ear and directed him. We already know that this guy is a jack ball. They can bounce any way the wind blows. Queen, what do you um, think? I, I, I think it's all smoke and mirrors. I definitely don't think that, um, you know, in, anything that this president does, of course, is self-serving. Um, and so uh, I, I got to I gotta get behind and, and see uh, was behind the smoke and mirrors, but I don't trust it. At all. How can you trust Ernst Julius? What's that name again? Orange Julius. And don't oh, please. Hey, don't get on my inflection. You know I'm from the South. Ernst Julius. No, no, no. Ernst Julius. <laughs> No, no. I wasn't so, even going in that direction. It, so, I was gonna ask you the I was so, gonna ask you the origin. So of part of the um part of the, the smoke and mirrors is the number that he's bringing down is only the, the excess that he sent over there. Well come on, I, I got him, got him, Carlos. Did you hear that? I, got him. I can't disagree I, with that. I, I got him. I can't disagree with that. However, regardless, come on now. Because I need this. Because the, the American people need this war to end. Our generations. Uh, I, I don't want my grandkids to be entrenched in this war. We're sending too many resources over to that country. Sometimes, like like Grandmama said, you don't want to know how the sausage is made. So as long as I get sausage, so. To my extent, I don't care how, how it's done. So, Dr. Johnson, what, what you don't know about me is I am a former military spouse. So, I am the, the wife of an ex-Marine um, <clears throat> who got out as a, a um, E6. So, in that regard, as a, as a serviceman, I absolutely understand where you're coming from. I, I empathize with it, but I'm not going to give him credit for something that he inflated. That's that's just that's just like price gouging. You don't raise the price and then take it down and say you it's a sale. That's what he essentially what he's doing. Well, I just hope that a ceasefire. I think I I hope that a peace accord and a ceasefire with the Taliban leads to a complete withdrawal. And that's the hope. Hope burns eternal. Okay, okay, Carlos, wrap it up. Well, well, you know what they say in the South. You can wish in one hand <laughs> and crap in the other one and see which one fill up first. <laughs>
<laughs> but I'm gonna tell you, I'm like Queen. I'm not sold. I'm telling you, I think it's a political ploy. I think he's trying to garner more votes so we can have four more years, four more years of Orange Julius. Man, please get the be, out of office. Get him I, out. I'll be honest with you. I, I just in, in, in with our back horse topic and how we discussed the debate. Uh, I don't see uh, Crazy Bernie or Sleepy Joe beating him in a general election. I don't see. Don't that. you worry about rocking Joe. He well, gonna pull it on out. Now that everybody dropping. Now that everybody oh, has. Now Joe. that everybody dropping out. Rocking Joe about to get the death. About to get the. Uh, about to get the nomination. Oh, yeah. so he rocking Joe now. He yeah. last week he, was he, he Joe. won now South he Carolina. <laughs> now he is rocking Joe, and we are moving still, on to California, baby. He's still Come sleeping, Joe. No, he he was given South Carolina. He he didn't win it. He was given it. He <laughs> well, was gifted it. Either way, he got it. And the rest of y'all bring your mama and your papas on out to continue to vote for Rocket Joe, so we can get this nomination. Let's go, baby. Rocky, Rocky Joe. Oh my goodness! But I, I, I love the fact that you, uh, regardless of who you vote for, uh, I think is an important right to exercise. And yes, just vote. Yeah. Absolutely. Whoever I hope you get the out there and whoever vote. is yes. the nominee, whoever. Uh, I say it again. So whether it's Rocking Joe, whether is I don't care, whether is uh, Earning Bernie, whoever gets who Earning. You call the socialist earning Bernie? <laughs> At this point, I'm just trying to rhyme. Hey, she done made him a Sesame Street character. He burned it. At this point, I'm just trying to rhyme the sound because I went with it. So. You can't, you can't call the socialist Bernie. Whoever gets the nomination, there you go. That's what I'm saying. At the end of the day. And even if you vote for no. Trump, go out and vote. Don't don't vote for forty five. I think that. <laughs> hey man, I have to agree with Doctor Johnson, man. To be honest with you, you know, voting is not it's a right and a privilege. I think it's both. So you know, don't sit on that. Get out and exercise your and right double to check vote. your precinct because that's another thing you know. they're doing. They're changing your precinct, and you get there, and it's moved. So don't wait till it's the last minute. What I keep telling y'all, they change the rules. Don't wait until the last minute. Find out where your precinct is and, and ahead of time. Okay, that's all I got. So so wow, wow. That's 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 what I didn't, I didn't I wasn't yes. aware that, that that was happening. So is that something that yes, that's not happening only in Louisiana, Louisiana? It was also reported in Georgia and in Florida. Okay. Well, you know, he resides in the great state of Texas. The great well, They should just go ahead. Texas has been trying to succeed for so years. Great. I think they ought to just go on let them. Oh. Man, oh. Man. Hey, the smartest thing Trump ever said. He said, get to Texas. Te Texas has been trying to succeed. I think they wow. just go Just go ahead and let them. Oh, okay. So that's what he said to sway you on his side, huh? Get to Texas as fast as you can. Because we know I can't. Texas, Dr. Johnson. Uh, well, I tell you, I, 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 I wasn't born here, but as the old saying here in Texas goes, I wasn't born here, but I got here as fast as I could. Man, whatever. I have never in my lifetime seen as many African Americans walk around with cowboy boots and 10 gallon hat. I'm glad you said not true. Not true. This is true. Except for the people in the home in your hometown from which you hail. Exactly. When it comes exactly. to buy you black rodeo. Oh man. No, I, yes. I gotta say that I, yes. I gotta say that Southwest Louisiana also, Carlos. So my dad is from Jennings, so Jennings Lake Charles area. You got the black cowboys down there too. Uh, there you go. And, and well, here's, here's the bit of mystery for me, looking at the history, that when we talk about cowboys and the cowboy boots and the cowboy hat, we automatically uh, see that as a cultural aspect of being white 
when in truth, most of your most of your cowboys, a third were uh, Hispanic, a third were African American, a third were white, and it was a poor man's job. It's only in the movies that it became right. glorified and associated with one sector of society. We forget about the history. And I would also like to soul. add that the Lone Ranger was black. That y'all didn't know that. Oh, I'm not aware of that. The Lone. I was not aware of that either. Was that why? <laughs> well, they changed. Black? They changed the character, but the original Lone Ranger <laughs> was a black man. <laughs> they changed the character yeah, for paid off. The, the Mars, original like Lone Ranger was a black man. man. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to cite your 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 sources. I was just I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna have to do my research. <laughs> the Google that works. That's new to me. <laughs> that's new to me. Uh, the Google. Oh, don't tell me. You <laughs> now, now, now you know I didn't find it. On, don't insult my intelligence. Now you know I didn't find it on Wikipedia. <laughs> Why am I always hey. accused of assaulting people's intelligence? Dollar Tree Media. <laughs> Wait a minute. Why am I always accused of insulting people's intelligence? And Look it up. Really, his his, his, his real honest. name was Baths Reeves. He was born a slave in Arkansas. The real Lone Ranger was a black man. You're welcome. And, and Dr. Johnson. I would have to say, you're making your best and longest friend refer to you as Dr. Johnson when we all know that your name is Kevin Ray. I'm sorry. I think you're going to circle back to that. Hey, However, it, is hard, it is hard for me to sit here and force myself to refer to you to Dr. Johnson, but like I said in the previous episode, you've earned that, so to pay your respect, I'll give you that. And I you have to have to realize, I never hear that. Until I come to Louisiana. <laughs> oh, you ain't got to come Never. to Louisiana. Whenever we get on the phone, I'm hitting you with it. <laughs> so but you have to admit that's a that's a familiarity yes. there that keeps you connected to your roots. And and which is why it doesn't offend me, but and, and the thing about this whole process is that this is, I love the fact that we have conversations, that we draw in research, and we, and we have intellectual conversations. I think that's just more fitting for the genre in which we're uh, presenting our information. Facts. Facts-based conversations, because they will research you. They will do it. They will make sure that you spend none but facts, Doc. All yeah. right. Well, speak, again, speaking of our listeners, uh, I haven't seen many messages on the message board. Uh, our, our viewership continues to increase. I've been impressed by that. I uh, hope we continue to get more listeners. But give us, a, let us know what you want to hear. Make sure you, you can leave a voice message. You can also send us a message through the Anchor app to talk about some of the things that, uh, uh, to give us ideas to, so we can talk about some of the things that you'd like to hear about. And then uh, uh, finally, uh, Carlos, I would definitely like to end this episode how we ended the last episode, giving some uh, solutions and some resources. Ms. Queen, uh, would you like to discuss uh, some resources in your space in, in um, these areas? Sure. Uh, well, you know what? I don't have any. <laughs> could edit this out. I don't have none off the top of my head for bullying. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was ready with my quote with my ending quote. <laughs> um. Well, uh, well, then let me go into some resources uh, from the secondary space. And in the secondary space, there are resources if if you want to read up and, and learn about social emotional learning uh, within classroom settings, uh, building relationships with your students. I I know I mentioned restorative practices. There are actually research centers, and in, in most states. They have uh, a, an outreach program to teach restorative practices uh, so we can, uh, again, uh, bring some of those students back in to the school climate and culture to make them comfortable. Again, going back to that, that Maslow's hierarchy of needs that we make sure that we can at least meet that first one where they're feeling safe and secure within their environment and that they're coming there to learn. And then finally, uh, the, the most important research. Uh, resource 
is being is building those individual relationships with your student, with someone within your community, your community, going down to the schools. And, and again, I'll, I'll keep saying this for every episode, volunteering, mentoring and giving those individuals that that safety and security they need to be successful academically. And the only thing I would add to that, Dr. Johnson, is something that has helped me along the way. As Aquina and I alluded to earlier, we went to a high school where bullying was commonplace. I mean, on a daily basis, multiple times per day. But the one thing I would say is that you have to, your self-identity is vital in terms of overcoming any kind of situation of bullying like that because at the end of the day you know who you are you came in this world alone and in all likelihood you're going to leave this world alone the person that's bullying you does not put food on your table does not put clothes on your back does not have any impact on the direction you go in your life you do and you can give power to the bullying or you can take power away from it. I know who I am as an individual. I grew up with adult teeth as a toddler <laughs> and an adolescent. And I had to hear it every day of my life until the rest of my teeth caught up with my adult two front teeth. But you know what? It never bothered me because I knew who I was as an individual. I grew up with a sway back and a big butt and a little bit of a gut as a kid. But I knew who I was as an individual and what I had to offer to this world. And yes, of course, my height kind of balanced out my shape. You ain't always had that height. You ain't always had that height. But I always had self-awareness. I always knew who I was and what right. I had to offer. Very important. That's what I would love to share with our listeners and hope that our listeners share with their children. You have and to- from a, go oh, ahead, I'm sorry, doctor. go ahead, dog. No, no, you're fine. No, sir. You are well more accredited than I am, and I would love oh, to say in terms of this subject. Oh, no, I was just gonna, from a black female standpoint, I wanted to hear Aquina's take on, on advice for young black females. I mean, I'm the parent of a young black female. Uh, I'm the product of a, a black female i'm married to a black female i would like to hear uh your perspective man um definitely as a as a young black female one thing that we don't always pour into our young women i had the opportunity to um accompany my best friend's niece this weekend to a luncheon where they were celebrating um, students just just because they were doing a good job and I thought to myself man this is a wonderful opportunity and I was, I was so glad to be amongst them you know celebrating those young women so um, young black girls know who you are know who you are we don't always have a sense of self as a teenager and I'll, I'll be honest and admit that I didn't come into maybe my sense of self until after I got to college because in high school um, you want to fit in. You don't want to stand out. You don't want to, um, you know, be the outlier. But if if you are brave enough to be yourself and stand in who stand in who you are, or as the children say, be ten toes down. Be ten toes down in who you are. Be ten toes down about your beliefs and and about your convictions. And and that for me is golden. You can go your own way. As the rock song so eloquently put it, you can go your own way. Know who you are. Be a pioneer. Because more than likely, if you go your own way, yeah. people are And it's so hard. 
especially you do it with it and it's so hard for young black women especially so we're looking at instagram and you know they're they're telling you you have to look a certain way or be shaped a certain way and so the body shape right so these young women um have pressures that i i can't even you know wrap my mind around or identify with because i wasn't comparing myself to an instagram model you know the most i had to compare myself was you know somebody at school and she might have been finer than me but i guess what she wasn't smarter than me so I knew I had on something. <laughs> <laughs> Which say, let's compare the bottom line. Right. right. So uh, you, you might have a body, but I guarantee you I got a brain. So these these girls just need to to learn to, you know, find your strength and, and stick to that. All right, guys. Closing remarks. Um, so I want to share a daily affirmation that I use for myself. Um, and, it, and it usually makes me feel better after I read this daily affirmation. So I'll end my closing remarks with you're a paper chaser. You got the block on fire, remain in a G until the moment you expire. You know what it is. You make nothing out of something. You handle your business. Don't be crying and suffering. You had to do that. Did you feel that motivation? I did. I did, I did. <laughs> Dr. Johnson? Quite simply, I would just like to say that people, regardless if you're Rihanna, Beyonce, people will always have something to say. It, you could be picture perfect in someone's eye. You can be not picture perfect in someone else's eye. But the most important thing is that you love love yourself. Let me go with J. Cole. Love yourself. That's it. That is it. Well, guys, I definitely thank you guys for tuning in and listening to us once again. I have enjoyed my time with the panel. I've enjoyed discussing the panel discussion, our dinner table topic for this evening. Uh, please get on and like and share. subscribe and there it is <laughs> i was waiting on that 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 backup you was a little late but you, hey, you came me. with it <laughs> hey you that's it you was a little <laughs> bit like the lord <laughs> right on time <laughs> right on time dr johnson you have anything else for our audience yes just just remember that uh when you Send in your messages. Uh, we will take good, bad, and different, and give us some pointers. We want to make this an audience-friendly show. Yes, I will have to concur. This is has this has been chewing the fat. We definitely appreciate you guys tuning in. Please tune in next week for our discussion. It will be centered around the generational divide. Thank you guys for tuning in. Good night. And he got proper this show, y'all. <laughs>